Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey listeners, and welcome to this batty edition of the Feeling Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and ready to play Alfred to my Batman is my best friend and co-host Aaron. Oh, is that how this goes? Is the guy who reads the intro gets to be Batman? Is that that's like, exactly right. That's, that's exactly. your way. I've had a feeling that's exactly what you were doing on purpose. I don't you know if I appreciate. What I was down. Yeah, I don't know if I like this. Can I pick my Alfred at least? I don't really yes, want to have shrapnel in my body. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd uh, prefer to go out a little bit different, like you know, at a cafe in France, <laughs> sipping some espresso or something. How's your British accent? Because that's really going to depend on that. In France, why does? Oh, you mean if I can carry a? If you're gonna pick your Alfred, outfit, you get. If it's gonna be Michael Caine, oh, that's yeah, not gonna it's happen. Good. No, I mean, so, yeah, it's not him. gonna work. <laughs> nope. Uh, if, that, if that's the criteria, I'm host. No matter what, you might you're as well out. just call me Robin or Nightwing or some other sidekick. I came close to that, but then I was like, that's not really applicable for this film because he's so. not in the movie. Gordon would have worked. I could be your your Jim Gordon. Okay, we'll take that. I like that. Well, this week, if you haven't already guessed, we are taking a deep dive into the latest live-action interpretation of The Cape Crusader, this time with Matt Reeves in the director's chair. We have a lot to get into, so we will not delay any further. This is your official spoiler warning. We're going to be talking a lot of details about the Batman. <laughs> so, you've been warned. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you've seen the movie, you will, because we're just going to go crazy about it. And if you haven't seen the movie, then you're obviously behind the curve. So please rectify that and then come back and enjoy the conversation with us. All right, Aaron, I want to get the conversation started with sort of going in generalities. This is, I believe, if we include Adam West, I think this is the fifth or sixth Batman that we've seen. Seven. So we have so we go Adam. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll go Adam West. Yeah. Michael Keaton. Mm -hmm. Kilmer. Clooney. Yep. Okay. Bale. Yes. Batfleck. Yes. Robin Robinson. Pattinson. Robert <laughs> Pattinson. Robinson I'm in this one. Woo. <laughs> so seven. Seven. Okay. I think with so many I, I tend to miss. I think I I think I sort of truncate Clooney and Batfleck because they're short iterations, but so is Kilmer, I guess. But Kilmer was my well, we'll get into that. Um so I know that there is a lot of conversation out there with any new iteration of an IP. Uh, we hear about that with Spider-Man. We really have only seen it twice with Superman. Uh, well, three, Brandon Roth being the, the other Superman. And it always brings up a conversation about what's the definitive version of this character. And as you shake your head, I know that you've got thoughts. So I'm just going to hit the mute button for the next 30 minutes and let you take control, Alfred or Gordon or whatever you're going to call yourself. <laughs> Catwoman. <laughs> Can I be Catwoman? No, don't do um, that. No, 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 no. I have thoughts. So let's not do okay. Catwoman. <laughs> All right. So the reason I had kind of wanted to talk about this, by the way, is just that I get pretty frustrated and I want to rant, I guess, if I'm being completely honest. And I posted some stuff on social media about this and I got some responses and I want to kind of address that specific kind of response that I got as well. But 
for me, this word definitive is starting to reach the level of where our buddy Don Shanahan from every movie has a lesson, has this absolute like despising of the word masterpiece because it gets thrown around so much. And so while I totally agree that things can be a masterpiece and things can be definitive, my issue is that it's been thrown around a lot this first week, right? With this new movie and everyone considering it, or people have been saying that they believe it is the definitive version of Batman. I have to push back on that hardcore, and it's not a general pushback. And so that needs to kind of frame everything I'm about to say. I'm not saying that nothing can be definitive, <laughs> okay? The big difference I see, Patrick, is that when you're talking about a character like a Batman, this is an IP that has existed for darn near a century at this point, right? It's, I don't know how many years, but 75, 80 years going back, right? This character has been depicted in so many different nuanced ways, whether it's live action film, animated film, animated TV series, live action TV series, and of course, like a myriad of like different comic books written by different human beings with different interpretations of how Batman is, what he focuses on, what Bruce Wayne's personality is like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, just the relationship between Batman and Catwoman has been depicted a whole slew of different ways. And so for anybody to claim that this is the definitive version of the character, I don't think that that's quite literally possible. I think that that is a false statement that is impossible. The push now, the, the difference being that if you were adapting, say, Harry Potter, and I'm going to use that as my example here, Harry Potter has existed in one series of books by one author. Harry Potter can be definitively adapted to the screen or whatever the case may be because there's only one thing to pull from. So if you are creating that character just like it was in the books, then it would be the definitive adaptation of it, in my opinion. This is how I read that word, right? So that's kind of where I draw that difference. The pushback I've received has largely been people who say it's implied that this is just a personal statement. And this happens in film criticism all the time now. Reviews are read and people don't use the words, I feel, I believe, or whatever. And that's because it is assumed that if you're reading this review, it is coming from my perspective and therefore it is my version. My issue is when critics do not use that language and use words like definitive or masterpiece and talk in broad, general, like, strokes when they say, this is this thing, that the reader does not read that as, well, I believe that it means that you, you know, Bob, think that this Batman is definitive, but that it's okay if somebody else doesn't. It reads as if you believe there has been no other character of Batman depicted on a screen that is as accurate as this one. And that's simply false. There are ways in which I probably would agree with that statement about this movie. <laughs> and there are ways in which I would be like, probably not necessarily true. But the, the reality is it doesn't matter because it's, it's mixed because of the different depictions of Batman we have. And so I personally just feel that, that we need to kind of get rid of this word definitive because it is disrespectful, in my opinion, Patrick. 
to say Matt Reeves has made the definitive Batman. I, this is not a situation where we have Dune, right? I'll use Dune as an example. Dune has been adapted two times cinematically, right? Once by, gosh, I forget who made the freaking movie. Um, but one, once with Matthew Broderick, right? And that film is critically pretty much panned and considered to be not anywhere close to, you know, the Dune that people envisioned. So therefore, when you get something that comes along that people are like, okay, this is Dune. That's a wide consensus that understands this is an adaptation that is so much closer and more like right on spot with the way that the books work. So therefore, it's definitive. Versus you have something like this Batman where we have multiple universes of Batman. We have two Keaton films that people, large amount of fans, think that that's their definitive Batman and Gotham City because that's the comics that they love. And so that's the way they want to see it depicted. Probably nobody's saying that about Forever and Batman and Robin, even though I love them both personally, my, myself in their own ways. But then we definitely have people who think that Christopher Nolan's grounded approach is their definitive version of how they see Gotham and see Batman. And then you even have people who think that Snyder's version of Batman and his, I guess, I can't really say Gotham City because that really never factored into his universe, but that's their kind of version of Batman. And so I just think it's kind of disrespectful to all the people who've played the character. And I just love this character. Look, look, I'm coming to, I'm coming at this from major fandom, Lord of the Rings and Batman. Those are my number two. Those are my one and two favorite like things, right? Pop culture wise. So it, I love them all. And I think that all of the directors have brought their own interesting flair to this character and kind of highlighted different aspects of him and different points of him in time in the comics. And they're all interesting and fun and engaging to me. And so I just hate it, man. I hate it when people go off and they try. And I think that it's just this way of trying to elevate what you're saying instead of using actual words, instead of actually using descriptive language to say this is the way that i view this and why we use a catch-all term like definitive and i just it drives me kind of nuts and i feel like it's a lot of hyperbole and so there you go i had to get it off my chest i appreciate you just sitting there and letting me do that you don't even have to agree with me if you do that's even better but yeah i'll leave it there <laughs> wait hold on let me finish up my report that i was writing <laughs> patrick's catching up on some old work from yeah. the office answering some emails i've got some uh, soccer matches i gotta schedule uh no i i think you're 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 saying a lot of stuff that i agree with and this is coming from someone who is less inclined to love the bat than you are i can definitely appreciate batman as a character because the fact is he's got a rich history i mean he is like spider-man and that he has just gotten told and retold and told and retold what i appreciate about this version of batman is what i think a lot of people do which is we don't get the origin story it's almost like a goo goo doll song we get dropped right in the middle of a thought and that backstory sort of gets retold but it's not untrue and so if you talk to someone who takes that vantage point of like this is the definitive batman i would challenge that person and say why I didn't see anything about Ra's al Ghul. I didn't see anything about his parents getting killed by, by a mugger and pearls being thrown <laughs> in the wind. 
and they would probably push back and say, well, no, 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 because it has this. Well, yeah, it's got that. But Batman has a lot of other things too. And if you try to get definitive, then let's play by the rules. Let's tell a 10 hour epic series worth of Batman to incorporate all that. Let's get every version of his relationship with Catwoman on the screen. Oh, you can't do that. You're right. You can't because the benefit of a comic book and the benefit of an artist and a writer is that they take the essence of a character and they tell their own story. This is why Scott Snyder's uh, Owl. Court of Owls. Court of Owls. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Owl series. Owl story. Owl the City. Court of Owls. Literally. You know, it got them. It's, it's become Owl, Owl City. City. Sorry. There's fireflies no fireflies everywhere. Mountain, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make us go down this, this road because we'll just keep going and <laughs> lose the conversation. But you and I, when we were really reading comic books, that was one of the that was one of the the series that we were reading, and we both loved it. And it wasn't just because it was Batman, and we can both get behind Batman, and you more than me, but because of what Snyder and Capullo were doing as writer and artist to really tell this story, incorporating the essence of the character in their stories without having to rehash things that we already knew. And I think that's what Reeves is doing here. He starts with a voiceover, and you've got Pattinson saying, essentially, here's where we're at, okay? <laughs> this week on Batman, and it's almost like we're getting a three-hour episode of a Batman story. This is where I think I fell in love with J.J. Abrams' Star Trek universe, because by the time we get to the third one, which you and I really loved, it felt like a long episode of Star Trek. It felt like we don't need to go back to the well and try to recreate things. Let's just tell this fun adventure story because that's what Star Trek is. It's part. It's not the definitive because if it were definitive, it would have every little piece about Star Trek in it. It's an essence, in essence, what Star Trek feels like when you watch it. So if you're watching an episode of Voyager or, or The Next Generation or Deep Space Nine or the original series, it's an adventure story. Batman is a story about a guy who is a detective, who is smart, who is dark, and who is jaded. <laughs> and those all exist in this version of Batman, as they do in practically the, every other version. Uh, practically yes. every other. In some however, form. However, you have a whole other set of Batman personas, which Adam West and the campy comics that existed, they existed, really do get at that kind of adventure and by the way adam west batman is a detective too he's got the utility belt he's scientific but his presentation is not as serious and it's not meant to be this is why i can get behind the schumacher films now i don't like batman and robin as much as i like batman forever i think val kilmer's a great batman and clooney's okay but when you look at these characters like Mr. Freeze and eyes to meet you. I mean, it's so over the top ridiculous because it's supposed to be. And Schumacher said, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to brighten up Gotham. I'm going to put some Technicolor behind it. Why? Because the comics had that. And the 1960s Batman TV show had that, which I really enjoyed. And it utilized the, the angular camera work that the 1960s Batman TV show did. So what are we seeing? We're seeing an homage to that. I think the problem was, when those came out, they were on the heels of Tim Burton's vision of Batman with the same Batman in the outfit, and it felt weird. And so by the time we got to yes. Clooney and 
the nipples <laughs> were like, okay, this is done. Then Christopher Nolan comes along and says, you know what? I'm going to really put this guy in the world that we live in. And so he creates a story that incorporates Batman's origin or a part of it with Ra's al Ghul getting trained because that's what Batman or that's what Bruce Wayne has to do. He has to get trained. Bruce Wayne does not just inherit these magical powers of being able to hit somebody in the face and do parkour off, <laughs> off of roofs. He gets trained by the League of Shadows, which is pretty amazing. And it's a story that I'd never read until I watched Christopher Nolan's movies. I wasn't introduced to that until then. And then what do we get? We get a more interesting Alfred. And the, the world of Batman expands even further. And then we get a scary as all get out Joker that we've never seen. Does that negate Jack Nicholson's performance? Not at all. But I remember really specifically leaving that theater saying, I hope I don't have nightmares about that Joker because he was scary. And that's why Heath Ledger won the Oscar because that's a Joker that you can believe actually exists. Whereas somebody like Jack Nicholson is a comic book Joker, which you can enjoy, but not have to worry about having nightmares about later. And then we get into Matt Reeves, which I think is, if you were to describe it, a blend of Nolan, because we have this kind of, this feels like San Francisco right now <laughs> with all the corruption and all the just dirty. But then you get a little bit of minority report with some tech and all these different things. And so it's this blend of noir and darkness and realism and grittiness, things that you can feel like are tangible. Like I could physically live in this Gotham city. It's not as, it's not as crazy as Tim Burton's or Schumacher's, but it doesn't feel like it's, oh, it's Chicago. No, it's Gotham. And um, so watching this, I, I just enjoy it for what it is. And so my summary slide is this. Like what you like, as I would always say, or I think we would both say, enjoy Batman, the character. Yeah. And if you don't like Schumacher, don't watch Schumacher. And if you love all Batman all the time, man, embrace it all. Because there's enough out there that you can enjoy so many interpretations of this character that... You can't hate on any of them, really. You can just prefer not to enjoy one over the other. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. And and I just I and don't lead with your comparisons. That's another thing. Don Shanahan, again, going back to our buddy, he he has like a list from Letterbox he found a while ago, I don't remember, years ago. And he refers back to it. And he'll often post about this in the Feel and Film Facebook discussion group, but it's kind of a list of things not to do in your reviews. And one of them is compare because one of the laziest, and I'm guilty of it like everybody else because it's an easy, convenient way to let someone know, and I'm going to use it in this podcast, so don't hate me for that, but it's to reference other movies and to compare things, and it is lazy, and it is it has to be used in moderation, and so when you lead with your very first thoughts of seeing this movie the first time, and the first thing you want to talk about when you come out of it is, oh, that's better than X. That's better than Y. I mean, okay, I'm glad that you enjoyed it that much. But it's okay to also just say, man, I really loved this thing. And you don't have to talk about the other things that exist. They really don't matter. If you didn't love them, so what? You loved this one. And you can talk about that. And you can be happy about that without trying to make other people feel like they're wrong for preferring, because it's all about preference. That's what I was getting at with that whole rant, is it's all about preference. Your definitive version is 
what you want Gotham and Batman to be. It's it's someone who's focusing on the aspects of the character that you personally want to see highlighted. It's all about preference. So, yeah. Anyway, let's get into it because th- there is a lot to talk about kind of how Reeves has adapted this in his three-hour epic movie. Well, let's let's start with the obvious. Uh, let's start with, with Pattinson as as the bat. And I'll go ahead and say that I enjoyed seeing him as Batman. But more specifically, I enjoyed seeing the volume of him as Batman. Because to me, <laughs> I know you said don't compare, but he, he's just great as Batman. There's less Bruce in this story than we get. And not that Bruce is diminished, but we got a lot of Batman. And that's why I think this feels more like a comic book, because while some uh, there are some interpretations in the comics, in other words, in other world, in the other worlds that would balance that. I really enjoyed seeing his performance as Batman, starting out with a great voiceover. I love the balance of it not being overly gruff, where it doesn't sound a little hokey it doesn't sound like he's trying to alter his voice it just sounds like he's being very um discreet and i think he just nails it i mean the way in which he looks at people the way in which he the first half of the movie felt slow not because it was a slow plot but because everything felt like it was in slow motion like he would come out of the shadows very slowly and matt reeves i think is really setting the tone early on for like He's not someone who's just going to bust out and beat the crap out of you. He will do that, but he will do that when provoked. And oftentimes what we see early on is that Pattinson's Batman is one who lurks, one who waits almost like a lion ready to pounce, but only when he needs to. He's not a predator. He's a protector. And so seeing him come out of the shadows, I thought was so phenomenal. The way he looks in his suit. Um, and I'll just say this, his his jowl, like the or not jowl, but his jawline, everything, he just looks really good in the suit. And I think he sells this idea of a vigilante. You know, Batman's always been called a vigilante, a vigilante. But everything about his suit and the way he wears it is very subdued. It's very utilitarian. So it doesn't feel like a costume. It feels like something that he uses for his you know, for his purpose. And so overall, I thought his performance was phenomenal. Uh, but I love seeing all the bat parts of the movie with him at the helm. Yeah, I agree. I thought that he was amazing as Batman. And whether it's down to Pattinson's performance or a mixture of that and direction, I actually probably put more of it on the direction. Personally, I know people love to think that it's all his performance and I'm not shorting him in his performance, but he doesn't talk a lot. And it's a, it's a very, you know, he's in a mask and in a suit. It's a lot of just standing the right way (laughs) in a lot of these scenes, kind of that's the acting and he does it well, but I, and I love the one-liners. I think there's such a great comedy to this film without it being a comedy film. Yeah. Patrick's going thumb drive. We'll talk about that seven, the detective probably part, but the, performance by him is good it's very good and i enjoyed him as batman for the same reasons that you did and i just enjoyed the depiction of this batman so 
it's got a lot of year one, the comic in it, and that's because it's year two in this, but that's Jim Gordon. He's not commissioner yet. Those two have teamed up, and it's essentially a buddy cop movie. I really love their relationship in this because they are two against the world in a lot of ways. Gordon's on the come up. Like he doesn't have power and control yet in the way that he eventually does in what we get used to, you know, for the most part in their stories with Batman. And so when Pattinson is playing this character, the Batman we get being in year two is a decidedly younger Batman than we're used to Patrick. So even when Bale comes into Batman Begins, like he's been out training, he's been gone. He's been getting ready. We don't really see him in this type of way. This is a Batman who is doing everything from scratch. The Batmobile, for one thing, is you can see the parts all over the Batcave. Like he's building it himself with his own hands. Like he's trying to, it's not a Batcave that's completely, you know, full of tech yet. It's got some that he's able to use, but it's not like this majestically crafted place, right? with all these different little cool areas and T-Rexes and, and, st and stuff. People who know the comics will get that. But the um, interesting part about it is how he feels to me like a 20-something-year-old kid. And, and that's part of this whole emo thing, right? It's very much in line with the depiction of Gotham City. This is, you know, you mentioned kind of a minority report vibe or whatever with the tech. It is, to me, Christopher Nolan made Heat, he took heat and used that Michael Mann's heat as a kind of example for how he wanted to craft his grounded version of a Batman and Gotham city. This, I would have believed it if you told me it was directed by David Fincher, because it's a blend of seven where it's raining all the time. And there's a serial killer and Zodiac. Like the fact Zodiac is ridiculously all through this movie because of the Riddler. And even True Detective, David Fincher's work on that show and the way that detectives kind of handle themselves in their partnership as they're working their way through these cases. It feels very much dark and bleak and dour like a Fincher film. And so you get that emo Batman. Like you would, he has to play that kind of way for this to sort of work. I actually was interested in this idea of the eyeshadow, right? All the people that I know online are like freaking out. They're like, oh, you know, it's so hot. Like guys, emo guys wearing eyeshadow. And I assumed that, you know, okay, that must be what it is. He's an emo guy wearing eyeshadow. I don't think that's what it is at all. I think it's because he's trying to cover up his eyes. He's yes, trying to literally hide because, yeah, because if you look at the bat, and this is something that's fascinating to me because we've never seen them do that before. And it's always been very obvious who's behind the cowl. Mm -hmm. But at least this way, you just see a blackness, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and it really mutes the eye color. I thought that was fascinating. And it almost gives him somewhat of red eyes because of the contact lenses mm -hmm. at times. So it's not because he's emo. Um, but when he is Bruce Wayne, I the first time I watched this, I remember coming out of it, and one of my criticisms was that I didn't think he was a great Bruce Wayne. I thought that... The Bruce Wayne stuff, and granted, it is pretty minimal, like, to be honest. You're right. He's barely Bruce in this movie at all. It felt very 
like, oh my gosh, insufferable, honestly, in a lot of ways. But when I watched it the second time, it kind of clicked for me in that, you know, he's, this isn't a dude, he, he's journaling, right? That voiceover at the beginning and then the voiceover at the end, those are the, those are bookend journal entries. And he's working his way through this. He didn't know what the heck he's doing, Patrick. He is brand new and he is being explored as a character who we love to like get to this point in our Batman stories, but we're starting at it with Matt Reeves, which is a, a Bruce who already identifies with the mask more than Bruce. He isn't in the process of shifting to that, which we often see the the depiction as. He is starting right away as like, he identifies as the vigilante. And the issue is, can he even find Bruce? And him finding Bruce to balance Batman is going to be what seems to be his journey as he grows, which is a little bit to me of a reversal. And so point being, <laughs> I thought that Pattinson nails Bruce in these scenes and it is very much on par with how I would expect someone who is uncomfortable in their skin without the mask and without their suit and without the ability to kind of be in the shadows like he him having to deal with reality was handled extremely well i love that moment too where he comes out or he wakes up in the morning i guess he comes out of the bat cave and alfred's been like go get breakfast in a shower we've got a meeting you know and and he's like what are you talking about why and he goes because you've been out all night and they're making you know they're alluding to the fact that he's nocturnal and he he can't see he blinks all the time like he can't handle the sun and it's a great final shot of him looking up at a sunrise and not blinking if you notice that like he doesn't have to close his eyes like initially he has to put sunglasses on because the, the light has gotten to the point where it bothers him but it feels like he transitions in the course of this like six days as a character but i loved it i thought that by the end and, and by two viewings in man I, I thought that he is perfect for this world and this depiction and this version of batman you could not put christian bale in this world and expect the same result that is kind of going back to that initial thing for me i also don't think you put robert pattinson in nolan's version of this story and you're going to get the right playboy batman attitude that we got kind of mixture of from bale so i think that they fit their worlds ideally yeah well and i think that that speaks to the story that you're trying to tell so matt reeves is trying to tell that story where his emphasis is on this sort of raw batman not a seasoned batman but a, a batman that's been established but not necessarily a Batman that's been around for 15, 20, 30 years or has a sidekick besides Alfred, who I think is a great sidekick, by the way. And so watching Pattinson play out that role, that was a that was a criticism I had, not necessarily like, ugh, this movie's not as good because of this. But when he takes the cowl off, I think this was by design. You look at Pattinson in the Batman outfit, and he is just so like big and strong. And you know, it, it really has to do with cinematography, how he actually poses, cool. And then you combine that with just really great choreography. 
But then he takes the cowl off and he feels weak. He feels very small. He looks pale. And I think his role in Twilight. Yeah, in the Twilight film sort of helps with that because it creates this really great contrast where you look at other iterations of Batman and Bruce. For instance, you have uh, the, the 89 Batman. They're almost interchangeable because they don't look any different. It's just, oh, look, it's Keaton in a suit, a different suit this time, one that covers his face. But there is a distinction here. and. Pattinson looks big, like he looks muscular, he looks powerful in the bat outfit. And it is, there is something to be said, Aaron, about the fact that you have to feel a different presence with your alter ego. It's why Clark Kent, with the glasses slumping over, works. And it's it's one of the things that, as much as I love Henry Cavill, it's hard to believe him as an awkward Clark Kent, which he doesn't come across that way. He's, he's a smart guy, and I don't want to turn this into a Superman podcast, although I'd love to at some point. But the the fact is, the intent of, of Reeves is to really create that contrast. And I think, to your point, it's in part to show that we have a raw person. We have someone who has history, who has anger and frustration again, all character traits of Batman and Bruce, but who's early in the stages of figuring stuff out. And he has to find a teammate. And he does that with Gordon. And this is probably next to him and Alfred, probably my best, my favorite kind of partnership in the movie, because they fit so well. And early on, that first scene where he walks in, towering over it seems these you know these cops and they're like what's going on here and jim's like he's cool you know it's just like (laughs) he's with me and it's just like he's a shadow of jim but you without even saying it you can tell that he and jim have this rapport Uh, there's nothing ever explained about how they got there at least not that i remember now you've seen it twice you may be able to provide some insight Uh, but independent of the comic book story we don't know how they connected. We don't know how they developed this sort of uh, cautious trust with each other, but that's really established early on. And I love their chemistry. I love how Jim gives him information and as he's walking around and he sees some clues and he stops and the, the photographer goes and takes pictures and explains to, to Jim what the riddles mean. It's, it's they're partners, but they're reluctant partners. They're not sitting in a cop car complaining about how their their family life is rough and how the job is just taking its toll on them. I mean, these guys are, they have an understanding with each other and they respect each other. That's the thing is Jim obviously respects him and he's got reason to, to respect. He doesn't buy into the whole, he's dangerous, he's a vigilante, so something has happened. But at the same time, Batman trusts Jim. He sees a purity in him. And I think at one point he says, you're a good man. And that is something that I think really connects both of those two is they both see the hope that they can bring to Gotham City. They want to. It's not like, and it's almost like they're compelled to, but they're coming at it from two different places. Jim from the law and Batman from the shadows. So what an interesting partnership to bring. And I really think this is a a fantastic interpretation of their relationship. 
Yeah, I do as well. I mean, love Jeffrey Wright always. And I was a little nervous that again, this was one that took me a couple viewings to fully appreciate in the way that I do now. The first time around, I was kind of like, man, he almost feels so, so much like a sidekick. Like, does Gordon get to do much? But there, he has his moments, man. When he yells at Penguin, uh, when they get him and he's just like, should you shut up? Like, I was like, yes. Like, I wanted to scream, like, thank you, please. <laughs> you know, it's so good. And you're right. Like, I love that you point that out. They're all about trusting each other and they know that each other have good intentions. And here they are in this completely corrupt system, which is something that is very interesting that we're dealing with because this is a modern take and it has a lot of stuff in it that is pulled straight from real world events, right? Whether it's the Riddler and it's got, there's just all kinds of corruption in this Gotham city that echoes our very real world issues. And so you also have to think about cops in that way. And, you know, all of the conversations that have been had about defunding the police and not trusting the police. And here we are in a city that is having that very issue because so much of that system is completely broken. And how do you fix that, right? Does it take a vigilante and a cop? And I love the approach that Gordon is taking. Like, he is not just saying, Batman, go do your thing. Like, he's trying to bring him in. That first opening scene with them is just awesome. When Batman comes in and is, like, literally doing a detective from the beginning, man, it's like, okay, we're in Arkham Asylum, the game, the first game. Like he's literally, he's going to be doing detective work, right? He understands, minus like a quick CGI shot of his eye, you know, zooming in and like some computerized stuff that he sees. That's what I envisioned when he looks down and he is talking about the finger and he's like, it's sepsis, you know, whatever. Like he was alive when it got cut off and he says it all, you know, so modern tune. And that's where also that great humor comes in, that first moment where that, <laughs> that one corner cop or whatever, and he's like, bumps into him <laughs> excuse me <laughs> it's so good but um yeah like I, here their relationship and it grows and is really interesting I, I, and i like the way that he plays the character i love how he his face is side, cocked to the side and he's like you gotta hit me man and he's like you go out the door you know, and I'm like, I'm going to give you the key because he's trying not to like <laughs> let them read his lips. And he's trying to yeah. look like he's like talking hard. And he's like, but you got, you know, and then when Batman's going to escape the jail cell or whatever. Mm -hmm. And also interesting is, you know, this is very much from the year one vibe because that's when they kind of got together in this, that comic uh, that is kind of, kind of sort of based off of a little bit. They're not great. They're not perfect and, and i think that that's an interesting thing because almost every review i've seen has said something about how like oh the world's greatest detectives no they're not <laughs> they're not gotham city's greatest detectives they're not anybody's greatest detectives yet they have skills and there is some there are moments right like batman definitely has moments the thumb drive being one of them like being able to kind of discern that and as they they figure things out but they also don't figure everything out they get completely fooled by El Rada Alada to the point where the Riddler accomplishes every single goal he has. He kills everybody he wants to kill. He blows up the seawall. He 
other than the mayor, I guess. Like, but people do die in the shooting. And Bruce. And Bruce. And Bruce. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's correct. And Bruce, because he doesn't know. At least we don't think he knows. There's some ambiguity around at the end whether he actually knows that Bruce is Batman or not. Yet you'd assume he didn't at the time because otherwise he wouldn't send it to Bruce with a note to the Batman as well. Right? Because, like, if Bruce is dead, then the Batman's dead. So, anyway. Point being is they make plenty of mistakes to the point where it's not all perfectly figured out. Like um, Falcone gets, you know, assassinated too. Like it, they're not solving everything perfectly. The city is ultimately in the place that the Riddler wanted the city to be in at the end of the movie. The Riddler has won, so to speak, right? Batman has changed. And it feels like he's kind of become who he's going to be moving forward in a different light. But like the city has lost. You can look at it as Batman lost this battle and hopefully he will win the war. And so in that regard, he and Gordon feel like a great starting point that have a lot of potential. It's like a new couple of high draft picks on your team that there's a couple games, they're going to go off, man, and they're going to win you a few games with some amazing, talented play. They're also going to have games where they're just turning the ball over left and right, and they're shooting 10% from the field, and you know they're going to just totally stink it up because they're over their heads. And so th they're going to get there, but man, yes, like the relationship and the trust building, it's so cool to see it go between the two of them. And I just think there's such a great chemistry in the – more emotive and I, I don't know what else to say, but performance from Jim Gordon from Jeffrey Wright versus like the very dour, like to the, you know, very even keeled and steady performance as Batman yeah. from Robert Pattinson. And just, it works. Yeah. It works. Yeah. I got a, I got a Felix Slider vibe from him a couple of times during the movie. And I think it's because of that interdependence and that, reluctant trust that he has and, and you're right this is a very rookie relationship just like pattinson portraying you know bruce and batman it's very rookie very early very raw and while we don't see a lot of mistakes being made on the batman side i think that's by design because reeves really wants to establish batman as like scary not like a bumbling idiot who can't use his toys and so there's a but there are a couple of moments with where he uses the uh, the wingsuit and i don't know if it gets caught on something but it ends up like he the, hits the <laughs> hits the hits the bridge or something and he yes. just gets just gets slammed <laughs> on the on the 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 van or something i'm like oh my gosh is he all right and there's a great i'm assuming that part of that is cg and part of it's practical because the the there's no cut in the shot and he just slowly gets up and he he walks away limping. And that's another part of the fact that Batman is a human being. And, you know, it's just a nice reminder. We didn't we didn't lean on that. We didn't just kind of stay there. But it was nice to see those things. And so between him and Jim, the fact that he's not a commissioner, he's not established, both these guys are really relying on one another and they're learning from each other and they're learning how to work together. And I love that that relationship doesn't change for the worst like it continues it's very constant throughout the film and from the beginning to the end 
Gotham's the hope for Gotham is elevated with both of them. I think Jim actually influences him more so than he does Jim because I think Jim sees optimism because he's a human being because he's a cop. So that shot where Falcone comes out and all the cops are you know watching him it's it's a great shot because you know it reminds us that not all cops are dirty cops that because four cops are 12 cops are it doesn't make all of them and um in some dark way i think reeves is kind of giving us a little bit of that hope that look you take you take two or three or the minority or the small percentage and you elevate policy based on that small percentage and now you're ruining you know the majority of what in in some ways it could seem like you're corrupting the rest because you're like well if i'm gonna already be perceived as a bad guy might as well get mine (laughs) i don't think he goes that far but that shot was really hopeful and i and i like that a lot Uh, one of the other partnerships that i liked aaron was obviously i mentioned this before batman or bruce and (laughs) bruce and alfred um I'll watch anything that Andy Serkis is in. I just think he's phenomenal. What interested me is that this interpretation of Alfred, I don't know a lot about his character apart from the few comics that I've read, but he's got a past. I think it was indicated that he has a military past. And so when he's like trying to get that cipher, Bruce is not like, what are you doing? This is weird. No, he's like, oh, what do you find out? And he, he figures a little bit of it out and he goes, that's very interesting. And that shows us that there is a partnership there as well, that he obviously he trusts Alfred because of history that we already know. Alfred became his surrogate father, but Alfred's not just taking care of him. Alfred's not just the guy that's protecting him. Alfred understands the importance of what he's doing, and he puts himself in a position where he wants Bruce to find what it is that he's looking for without getting himself killed. I like that he doesn't discard what Bruce is doing. It's almost like he's a hip dad who's like, well, I guess you were out all night. Make sure you're <laughs> like, I think it was a great line when he gets up before he sees Alfred messing with that cypher. He goes, there's berries over there. You know, it's like, it's just another day for the Batman. And he doesn't you know? serve him. He nods. He's like, fr- yeah, he's like, he like shuffles his head. He's like, yep, there, there's, there's fresh berries if you want them. You know, like yeah. they're there, like get him your dag himself, right? Yeah. But I think if you put anybody else in this role, because of really just because of who we've seen Andy Circus portray, he comes across as a capable Alfred, a capable one that's that is appropriately involved in Bruce's life. And again, you, you said it really well earlier that the character, the actors that play the characters in all of these iterations fit their world. And I couldn't imagine Michael Caine being no. Pattinson's Alfred at it. all. Nope. Absolutely not. I could see Andy Serkis with his sleeves rolled up, ready to probably go to town on somebody if he needed to with some muscle, but also have that protective nature. But that's not on display here. What's on display is the fact that Alfred has sort of whether reluctantly or not, has sort of accepted the fact that Bruce is going to be this guy. I'm going to do what I can to make sure that he doesn't die. I'm going to help him solve these problems. And so in some ways, he's his own like side detective where he's figuring stuff out, even if he doesn't get it right. And so I think seeing Circus on display here is just so good. Yeah, I think that part was 
one I really liked was him being involved. He's not just the butler. Like he is like helping figure things out. That was a completely unique take on Alfred, in my opinion. I mean, from what I have read and seen so far, it felt fresh to me. And it was interesting. And I think Circus is a great person to help sell, like you said. Like you, I just love the imagery you just put in my head of like, he's the guy who's going to just roll up his sleeves and, you know, portray him. He's going to be the guy he was in the MCU and Black Panther and go to town, right? Be a mercenary and help. And I could see that. But I also love his like, take no crap attitude that you mentioned, not only in the berries, but in the cufflinks. He's like, here's your cufflinks. You know, like, where's your cufflinks? And Bruce is like, I don't know. I don't know where time. And he's like, you're a Wayne. And he gives him the cufflinks. He's like, I don't want them. And he's like, no. And he forces them on him. And then Bruce, in his cocky, rich, I wanted to slap him, is like, are you a Wayne too? And then Circus comes back at him like, yeah, your dad thought I was. You know what I mean? Like, and it's, I just love that he doesn't have any, we've seen Alfreds before be much more timid. Right. And and not timid in a bad way. Again, they fit their universe perfectly. They're butlers. That's their role. Like Michael Caine has some pushback eventually. It builds over the course of three films, right? But he does it in a very different manner. That's not the relationship. That's not the Bruce. The Bruce is so much older that Michael Caine is older. Alfred's older. These are younger characters. And this is a Bruce that is in his 20s and is listening to my bloody Valentine and needs like somebody to put him in his place every once in a while. Right. And so I agree, man, wholeheartedly. And I actually, this is another part of the film that it took me two viewings. The first viewing, I was kind of like, I didn't, I never didn't like it. There's nothing I didn't like about the movie, but I was kind of like, give or take, eh, whatever circus. Like he doesn't stand out to me and he still doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of rules, but the second viewing boy, did the scene in the hospital stand out big time when he, looks over at him and they have that conversation and there's this final shot of Alfred's hand out and Pattinson as Bruce goes and just, just casually quietly just grabs his hand and they cl close it. Man, that was awesome. 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 And I love yeah. the potential for this relationship more than I mm -hmm. loved it in this film, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. because now Alfred has gone through something that most Alfred's, never experienced right like almost got blown up so i could see a world where he does become more involved in that way that you're talking about i mean we can, we're gonna have future iterations i would assume so you know that relationship should grow in a way that is really unique and interesting mm -hmm. when when that scene happened and he blew up i had i had kind of flashbulb memories of no way home and i was like wait are, are we are we losing a major character that we, we haven't even gotten a chance to get to, no, don't do that. And so I see the hospital scene, I'm like, okay, he's going to survive. He's not going to die. There's no way. <laughs> so I was glad that he I survived. was waiting for them to tell us, he, like, he like miss, was losing his legs or something, but he did have, he was covered in shrapnel. It was pretty bad. Yes, he was pretty bad. Well, one other partnership that I think we should talk about is, you know, the bat and the cat. Batman oh, yes. and Catwoman. And uh, as in other iterations, we've seen this relationship play out. We've seen it in the comic books. So I'll just ask you straight up, what did you think? So I 
I'm an Anna Hathaway guy, first and foremost. Let me put that out there because the world seems to think I'm crazy. That's fine. We've had some social media debate about this in the last couple of weeks. A lot of people are Michelle Pfeiffer people. That's their Catwoman. Understandably so. I Once again, I think that the Catwomen fit their movies pretty darn perfectly. We're not going to talk about the one that's solo. We're going to just put her to the side. That movie is an abomination. <laughs> but even in the TV series, I, I thought that both of the Catwomen and the anime and uh, the live action TV series early on, both of them were fantastic. And now we have, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer who fits Batman returns excellently. There's a great sexiness to that character, but it's a very out. I rewatched Batman returns just the other day. That movie is like so full of innuendo that I did not remember. It was extremely on the nose it is i mean it is right there and i think she is a really good fit for that it's so much much more subtle like almost too subtle if anything it's not there in the same way at all in the dark knight rises with anne hathaway but i love her Catwoman. like personally just attracted to her and the way she's portrayed but if uh, this is a phenomenal Catwoman for me. Zoe Kravitz is excellent. I mean, she has the sex appeal that you generally are going to expect because you want some fire and heat between Bruce and Selena and you want that relationship to build. But she's got, she pulled off the athleticism. I think part of it for me is I'd watched a thriller that came out with Zoe Kravitz starring her just a couple weeks ago from Steven Soderbergh called Kimmy. It's a techno thriller set in Seattle during the pandemic. It's really good. I think it's on HBO Max. Go check it out. But she's fantastic in that. And it really showed me that she could be a strong lead. And I got that sense from her here. She owns every second of screen time she's in. There is never a moment where you look at her and you're like, oh, she's a side character. <laughs> it feels like it's her movie almost as much as his when she's present. And I thought that the way they depicted her storyline was really brilliant and made a lot of sense. The way it kind of ties back into Falcone and her desire to get revenge on Kinsey. And there's all these people from like actual Gotham comics and, and history that are in here. You know, famously, the character that's revealed at the end of the movie, who we'll talk about, he was there was a kind of a diversion where he was going to play a guy named officer stanley merkel who was also in the comics and that's what we thought going in but i like that there's all these different people maroney you know is the guy he's not in the movie but he's the guy that they took down that the drug bust that the, they're talking about throughout the film anyway back to selena though i i really liked it i like that she is very much in line with the way i like my Catwoman which is she's not burglaring just for fun. And this is part of what I liked about Anne Hathaway. They're stealing for something you could almost consider ideals. They're, they really do fit that like anti-hero model. She's trying to protect Annika and she wants to see Annika controlled. And she is essentially a vigilante, just like Batman. She's just a little bit different when she goes about it. But even when she's going after the money, it's not, it's because she feels she's owed it, right? She's not just stealing money from some random person on the street because she's a thief. She's stealing from this corrupt system of drug dealers who have taken from her 
her mother, her friend, etc. And I love that about her. So she's right in that place of like, you want to judge her kind of, and you can understand how bad man's judging her, but then you can also kind of go, but bro, do you have a right to judge her? Which makes their relationship so fantastic. And I thought that over the course of the film, it really did build well. It There's moments of heat. It's maybe a little bit lacking in complete believability of them fully falling for each other but i but they don't really fall for each other because they go separate ways in a way you know like she's willing to see that and i like that about her i like that she right you know when it comes down to the decision she's like i'm going left right i'm going to bloodhaven which is where nightwing is by the way uh usually but anyway she's like i'm going and then she looks up and she sees the bat signal in the sky out of the corner of her eye and i love that line she's like you're already taken for but she's so strong patrick she doesn't bend to batman she's not like oh i need you i think they have a relationship where she sees a world in which they could be complementary pieces to each other and she says that she's like let's go do this and we could go cause chaos um take down some hedge fund you know people or whatever she says so she sees a world in which they can have a relationship but by no means does she feel like she needs that to be a complete person and be happy. And I like that about her as well. So I, I thought everything about Zoe Kravitz worked for me. And I like the, again, kind of like Alfred, I loved the beginning of this relationship and it made me excited to see a Catwoman who is not just in the last film of a series, like in Returns and in Dark Knight Rises, she's in the first. And so we're gonna get to see this relationship grow versus only getting beginning to end all in one movie. Well, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Zoe Kravitz, because she is beautiful, because she is athletic, her character, she makes her character capable and motivated for reasons that whether you agree or disagree, you understand. So none of her motivations ever felt like, what are you doing? Really? The moment that for then really come out and set that up. Maybe that was the setup. Maybe she was like, listen, I'm just going to go for it because that's the kind of character she is. But I kind of eye rolled a little bit knowing that that's the history of their characters, that they are sexually attracted to each other, that they have this common ground as superheroes, as antiheroes, whatever we call them. But to me, that felt like we got to make sure that we get this in. And so their kiss felt like, mm, okay, that's, that's all right, I guess. And so um, didn't didn't ruin the movie for me by any means. It just felt a little juvenile because up to this point, she's been portraying this very capable woman. Even one of my favorite scenes was when she goes into the hospitality room and he's got her running this detective operation or the sting operation. And she finds out about her friend or Russian friend and and she deviates and she says, I'm not doing this anymore. But all of her, all of her movements, all of her actions were very much confident, very much. Yeah. I can believe that she, she's established. She knows what she wants. She's not going to let anybody else take it from her. And so at this point, I didn't want that. And I could have had that last scene without the kiss prior to it. Like I could have had them go in their separate ways because to me, 
they had a partnership. They were trusting each other. The moment that he takes the gun away from her, the moment that we that we see that's familiar, where he says, "Look, by you're killing this this guy is not going to get you what you want." We've heard that line before. We've seen it played out. Doesn't make it any less important or any less impactful. But that's the moment that reminds me that maybe the kiss, you know, a kiss at the end would have been more meaningful. The other one just felt like she was horny and was just needing something from a dude in a rubber suit. And I didn't really get that. I totally feel that. And I agree with you that the one of the small little nitpicks that I did have was that there wasn't enough buildup to the heat between them. Like, like you're saying, it doesn't feel like it's sold to the point where we get there fully. I will say this in slight like opposition or whatever to it is that they're 20 something, they're early twenties and they're very loner. And it feels to me like they're both characters who almost get off on this in a sense, like their, their bodies, there's so much energy around what is happening with them that I think it's one of those like overflowing emotional kind of things, almost to the point where you like hear, you know, people take, you know, having one night stands because you just get in this place where you're so over emotional and this is the person that's there. That's kind of how I took it more so than a genuine bonding kiss in a deep relationship way. I completely agree with you. It would have meant, a lot more close to that if it had happened at the end versus when it did. So overall, yeah, I think you're right. Well, before we get into the villain side of things, I want to talk a little bit about this world of DC that Matt has created. In particular, Gotham City. I think I've said this on the podcast before, at least in our conversations, that the city itself, whether it's Metropolis or Gotham City more specifically, the way in which you depict Gotham is like a supporting actor. And just like other iterations of the Batverse, Gotham City is depicted in a specific way. I thought that the the muted colors were fantastic. I loved the use of corridors and alleys, that it wasn't so dark that we felt like we were just sort of hoping that we didn't get hit in the face with a, with a robber or something like that. But even the use of the rain, where I think you and I joked about, hey, if it's not raining in Gotham, it's not really Gotham. The rain felt appropriate at the times that it was used because of the fact that it, it it added a sense of sadness to the scenes that were that were playing out. But I I like the fact that we got a little bit of the real world thrown in. Like I think there was an advertisement for Walgreens, and there was one other uh, an actual company name that was in the you know, one of the billboards or something, and so. It makes me, I'm kind of halfway in, halfway out. So I think it's cool to see that. But I also like, there's a part of me that likes my DC to stay in its own universe. Like I like the fact that you don't need to have, (laughs) I don't need to see advertisements for Walmart or Regal or something like that in Metropolis or, or Gotham City. Because some of the appeal of a fictitious city is that you have a fictitious everything, like fictitious news network, fictitious... Uh, restaurants, things that are imaginative that support what the city's about, and you know the Gotham Gotham Police Department. It's you know, I I loved seeing the costumes. The costumes were great, and seeing 
you know, these guys with jackets that said, you know, GPD. I was like, oh yeah, Gotham Police Department. That's kind of cool. So I think that that Reeves does a really good job with his team at giving us a fresh take on the city and how the city itself becomes sort of a maze. The fact that it's, I'm not sure if past Gotham's were like New York where they were just around, surrounded by water, but the use of the, of the seawall was, uh, was phenomenal for the, for the plot. And uh, more than anything, I think just it's, it's a beautiful city to look at as a noir piece. So it feels very solid. It feels very organic, not gritty, but very much like, yeah, these are buildings that could exist. So like in Tim Burton's, his buildings were just really tall and epic. And wow. I mean, if you, if you, you'll have a nosebleed just looking up at them. Reeves felt like it was New York and Chicago sort of amplified a little bit more with all their, like the boroughs and the the alleyways and things like that. But it wasn't so much like a maze that you felt like you didn't know where you were. Like it felt like, oh, there are structures here. Yeah, if if we come back to Gotham, I'm going to recognize that, oh, that's where, that's Wayne Tower. That's where it is. And that's where, you know, the Gotham Police Department is. That's where the subways are. And um, so it it had that familiarity of cities that were, we know, but it was different enough that it didn't feel like it was just, oh, it's, look, it's New York, but it's darker. Or it's San Francisco, but it's in gray. <laughs> and so I thought it was fantastic. Agreed. And like many aspects of this film, it feels very much like, the games, the Arkham City, Arkham Knight, Arkham Asylum versions of the Batmans that we've been able to play for the last decade, it that tone is carried over here. The look of Gotham City is carried over here. I think pretty much Gotham City is like this. I mean, we had, you know, the Dark Knight. We definitely have seawalls because there's fairies that are taking people out, and that's a big part of the storyline. The... We also have that in other versions of, we have it in the games for sure. There's an outer kind of ring of water that is there. So I think it's pretty accurate that way. I didn't notice the Walgreens thing. I probably would have felt the exact same way as you, though, had I seen it. I would have been like, okay, that's dumb. I liked the made-up stuff. There's, at the very beginning, when Batman is reading his voiceover diary entry, and it's Halloween night, and he's, we're watching him observe all of these different criminals and getting to see that they have like this fear. They're, they're not sure if he's going to come out of the shadows or not. Of course he does for one specific one, but there's a guy in a drop head costume drops being the drug that is in this film, the fictitious drug. And he robs a store. That store is called good times grocery. And Robert Pattinson's movie that he was in, his indie film directed by the Safdie brothers that he was phenomenal in, it's very dark and kind of tone, very similar to this. And it's the movie that Matt Reeves saw and immediately said, I need him to be my Batman. It's called Good Time. And so that was an intentional nod to that film, which is really cool. I love it when they do things like that in there. So I'll say that that offsets Walgreens. Uh, and <laughs> we'll call it a wash, but like, yeah, I yeah. agree with you wholeheartedly. Any real life marketing throws off the fictitious kind of immersion that we had. And I love what I had from them yeah. in the, in that way. Well, and there's, there's something to be said about when you go into a comic book movie, it's completely fine to, to throw in your own 
real world kind of symbolism or you know commentary, whatever you want to call it, uh, when you get that blunt, I think it can kind of make you feel like Gotham doesn't exist. I mean, this is not something I really, I don't, I I want my my fi- my fiction separate because comic books are allegorical. They're telling stories. They're they're social commentaries. You know, Star Trek's the same way. And you know, I think there was a moment where where Catwoman says something about white privilege, and I was like, what? Really? Wait, hold on. Are we are we there? Uh, and so little things like that that just kind of they don't they don't ruin a movie for me. But you have such a great setup. And then you see Walgreens on one of these marquees and it, it just kind of goes, no, no, Walgreens doesn't exist in Gotham City. It's a it, it, it doesn't. I need my comic book universe to be that and tell your stories and give me a message. But don't get don't cross over because then you confuse the message. You confuse the ideology of what you're trying to do and. I'm I'm glad that those moments weren't enough to say, well, I'm just, just, uh, that was dumb. That's all I could say is, okay, well, that's fine. Do what you got to do. Let's get back to the story. And there was enough in the movie that just sort of let those things be exceptions to the rule. Um, but yeah, in the future, Matt, if you're listening, let, let's just, let's get more original, original stores out here. You can call it ball greens. You can call it Gotham city, uh, uh, <laughs> pharmacy, whatever. It's fine. And just use the same typography. I'm cool. Yeah. As if my opinion matters to him, whatever. <laughs> Probably has more to do with marketing money than choice, uh, that's creative. That's choice. true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this lonely podcaster seems to know so much about this that I'm not dumb at all. <laughs> Matt's like, I would have had to cut Catwoman out of the movie if they had taken the Walgreens budget away. <laughs> Walgreens paid for Catwoman to be in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So I want to talk a little, little bit about the the villains, and I and I say that in the plural form. I mean, there were several. Uh, this is something that I think is um, pretty common for a lot of the 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 Batman interpretations, with the exception of eighty nine. I think eighty nine only had the one, but we get uh, we get Riddler, played by Paul Dano. Oh, I absolutely loved his performance, and uh, and then we get Penguin who I'm one of the many people that didn't realize that Colin Farrell was behind that incredible makeup job. So I'll have to go back and watch that again and try to see Colin Farrell in it. You can't. And then we, you and can't. Then we, I, it's phenomenal. It, it's, He's gone. <laughs> He's not there. <laughs> and, uh, and then we get Falcone. All of these characters, it's so risky when you bring more than one character in a rogues gallery onto the screen because you run the risk of diminishing one for the other. Now, Riddler was obviously a through line and he pushes his his kind of motivation and all his stuff pushes the story forward. But I love the way that the story moves and that it incorporates the importance of characters like like Penguin and Falcone and how they connect to all of this. Because by the by the third act I'm like how are these all connected? What is this all have to how does this have to do with renewal and what is going on here? And now why does Thomas Wayne a bad guy too? These are things that are very refreshing to me, Aaron, because they don't feel like a true like superhero story because I feel like the superhero story has been sort of played out in multiple ways. This really felt like a detective story. Like I felt like this is like, like a crime drama. Like we're trying to figure stuff out and I was waiting for the, which is why the Riddler is such a great 
character choice because that's where that's what crime is it's figuring out stuff and you know whether it's forensics or whether it's motive it really is all about the riddles and i think somebody said on twitter that you retweeted that yes the riddles in batman forever were probably better than they were in here but paul dano man i'd forgotten how good he was and uh, i miss seeing him on the big screen doing what he does the biopic about the uh about the beach boys front front man he was phenomenal in it that's my first uh introduction to him so seeing him do this uh and and really heightened by that conversation with uh with batman in arkham it was so so good i didn't feel like i was afraid of him but i was like i'm never going to piss off anybody else that i think is meek or whatever i'm going to be nice to all people because i see a guy like the riddler and i go it could be anybody and it's just a good idea to be nice to people yeah his performance is great it's again if i have little nitpicks it's maybe slightly a little over the top for me and a little screamy and i get it it's the performance is there and it, it's making sense and I, I understand it but from an enjoyment perspective he gets a little screamy and loud and just it's obnoxious i know it's supposed to be i know it's supposed to be so i'm not knocking the movie for the filmmaking choice uh, you know for it being effective but it is a choice that i was like okay stop just stop that weird vocal you know expression anyway but yes phenomenal performance from him and I liked having so many kind of villains in this. I love that we got this penguin and the way that he effectively is a lackey to Falcone and wanting to break out of that. And then at the end, you know, even when Falcone gets shot and he like gets angry because he's like, maybe I will take over your empire. And Falcone's kind of talking crap to him saying, you know, you can't do that. You're nobody. And he pulls out his gun right as Falcone gets shot. He's like, I didn't shoot. I didn't shoot. I didn't shoot. Because they tackle him. So I I love that where we're setting up right with Penguin to be a future villain. This handled the villain problem so well because it gives us one solid through line of a villain and it gives us other ones as well that are not necessarily going to be the main focus of this plot right but that are we now know they're in gotham we, they're gonna be a threat and we get to see them grow i just love that about this version is that we're going to see all of these people grow we didn't have to have the kingpin version of penguin right here right off the bat right it's almost like an origin story of him and the riddler every again i said this earlier everything about the riddler is based off the of zodiac it really is to the point where some of the cards that the Riddler sent are exactly referencing cards that the real Zodiac Killer sent to detectives. The cipher is exactly the same type of system that the Zodiac Killer used in real life that the Riddler is pulling from. So the parallels are intentional and everything with the Riddler is an intentional parallel, I think up into the very hard to stomach, I'll be honest with you, kind of twist at the end, Patrick. I had a rough time the first time around with this. And the second time it worked better for me, but it's tough when you find out that he's got this online following of complete crazy 
like radicals who are following him and who are going together to jointly massacre these people in a mass shooting, right? Like the way that that plays out to me, it was terrifying, like close to a real life kind of scenario, because this is real. Like people could do this and have done this in the past. Maybe they haven't amassed this type of a following yet, but I mean, there's nothing about this that wasn't like out of the realm of possibility. And so that's what made it so scary is because it was, his crimes were grounded. They were well thought out. They were well prepared and they were believable. And that made it just absolutely just awful, you know, to think of. And, and again, pulling from that whole Fincher seven Zodiac vibe, which is there and the bigger problem of the corruption of Gotham city, which is driving him because in a sense, you almost think that the Riddler is almost like an anti-hero in this movie in a way, because he thinks Batman is going to be on his side. That's why he's sending Batman all these letters. Like he believes that Batman and he are doing the same thing. They're both ridding the city of corruption. Are they not? Yes. They're doing it in different ways, but that's their goal. He wants to bring it to the light and make people pay. He wants justice, right? For all this corruption. There's, something that is good about that ideal <laughs> you know like don't we all want that it's a matter of how we go about getting there and you have these different things clashing and so it's really interesting to see that come to light there's also an interesting moment though and i saw this on twitter and so i wanted to bring it up one of my fellow seattle critics dave chin had posted this the gang goes to do their initiation and it's a young Asian man. And it, and that was a little bit, he found that a little bit problematic because for him, he's like, listen, we live in a time where, you know, Asian hate is a real thing that happens and people are murdered and beaten for no reason other than they're Asian, especially recently in the last few years with the pandemic and how that stuff had, had transpired. And so it feels like another kind of real world par parallel that's being drawn there. And so then what is the message is the message that the only way to stop that is for a vigilante to step in and beat people to death. I, I take a more hopeful look at that. And I think that that is exactly <laughs> almost kind of what's being said. It's not about like what we can do to stop it. The movie doesn't need to have a message about how to fix police corruption and how to fix stopping Asian hate, right? That's not the movie's job or the story that they're trying to tell. But in the world that we live in, in, in this world, they're showing those things as a way of saying, like, here is a character who is determined to try and fix these things, even outside of the law and the systems that he believes are corrupt. And yeah. he has his own set of ideals that you can agree with or not agree with. You don't have to agree that Batman is perfect, right? Like you can have issues with him. And so well, I, think, I thought that that was interesting, just a very real world kind of way in which the issues of Gotham per were pervasive. Well, I think you bring up a good point, Aaron, that when you look at these characters, the point you made about the fact that the end game of the Riddler and the Bat and the Batman are the same. They want to rid Gotham of corruption, but how they go about doing that is what matters. Batman's story or his 
journey in this movie changes because by the end of the movie, he is no longer vengeance. Like he sees a different way to bring hope to Gotham. Even though his end game hasn't changed, the methods by which he does it have. You might agree with him, you might not. But you also see other sides, multiple sides of how people look at the city. And by the city, I mean the culture that they're living in. So if you were to take this into the real world, I would say if I'm going to give a hopeful spin on how this could be a metaphor of where we're living now, one would be that there are people out there that see that there is good, that there are valuable ways in which there are hopeful ways that we can change things. And that also there are multiple ways to get to the same point, but some of them may not be the best or even the right way to get there. So the question is, what is the right way? And and that's an ambiguous question that's left if you're going to go that far in a movie like this. Kudos to Matt Reeves if he was kind of hinting at that. But I think the recognition of the fact that I'm not left thinking Gotham City is completely a hellscape that you should just abandon. I mean, honestly, the stories we get about cities like San Francisco, move out, move out, move out. I mean, you can't argue with that. But I would imagine that there are people living in San Francisco who see the value of their city, who have pride in their city. You know, I'm from a, a small city in Arkansas, and so I don't necessarily get that on a on a grand scale because I don't live in Chicago. I don't live in Los Angeles. I don't live in Washington, D.C. But I see that Gotham, for different individuals, is a place of opportunity. Falcone obviously sees that. And he wants to be, and he's, he's called the mayor. He's been the mayor for the last, what, 30 years because he's controlled everything. So you have that kind of character. Then you have the mayor-elect who she wants to legitimately change because renewal, this policy that Thomas Wayne implemented, has failed and has continued to fail. What you don't see and what she doesn't see is that Thomas Wayne had good intent. And that's where the conflict between Bruce and Alfred in the hospital came from. Is Bruce was like, so my, so my father was a villain. Your father was a good man. But he was killed before his goodness could really be shown. And so there's so much complexity to multiple people wanting to change a city, wanting to change the world they live in, and how they do it is what's called into question. <laughs> I would say the Riddler's intent, absolutely noble. Get rid of corruption. We need good people out there. But he doesn't get to the, we need good people out there. He's just on that first half, get rid of corruption. But he doesn't have a plan. He's like, look. He's not the guy that says he just wants to watch the world burn. He wants the bad guys to go down, but he doesn't care if the city goes down with them. And so are you really accomplishing anything? Well, that's where his villainness really kind of shines is that he doesn't have that other side. And I think that's what makes him compelling. Now, to your point that he can be over the top and that's supposed to be that way, I think what makes that enjoyable for me is the fact that he uses social media as a platform for that. And it's those extreme kind of videos and the way in which he talks and the the use of that raw video. Man, that's appealing on a social media platform. It's like, oh my gosh, we're actually seeing something. It's not edited. This isn't like, you're not throwing in music here. You're not doing these like cuts. I mean, he is legitimately 
doing this and saying these things. And it is scary. You're absolutely right that there are people out there that could take hold of this. The QAnon kind of movement is one of those things that could take hold of a person and say, look, I need to go out there and do something. And that thing could lead to shooting up a pizza parlor, or it could be attacking a building. It could be a number of different things. Your intent is there. Your intent is good. I want to change because something's wrong. Well, <laughs> your output is not necessarily equaling what your, what your motives are saying. And I think that that's what the Batman is really doing with the Riddler is I can believe exactly what I can believe in what he's saying, but I can't believe in the actions he takes to accomplish that. So, um, so kudos to, to Reeves for his casting and for the story to be able to, to kind of show that and create that complexity. All right, before we finish up, I want to talk a little bit about some of the tech stuff, uh, particularly the uh, the fight sequences and, and some of the gadgetry. What stood out to you in terms of like some of your favorites? Everything. Um, everything. <laughs> everything. Everything. All right, everything. everything. <laughs> no. The eyes, the contact lenses were amazing. Super sick, super modern, perfect way which Batman can go about being a detective unknown but in this way that is techie as the character has always been coming back to the back cave being able to monitor those things the usage of them i think was fantastic that was just an awesome awesome addition to this world i thought that was great the batmobile loved it never going to quite reach the iconic height for me i don't think of the unique batmobile from 89 and the way that it looked because it's flashy and I'm not a muscle car guy in general. And then the tumbler just being utterly bonkers to the point of like memorable memorableness. But the Batmobile here is very much perfect for this Bruce Wayne and for this character and the scene in which the Batmobile not only, and of course I bought it and built it too in Lego. I'm doing that with all of them, but the scene in which this Batmobile has its chase moment is just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it is outstanding. The score, which we haven't really talked about the cinematography or score, but they're both absolutely A plus throughout the whole film. But the score is actually kind of tweaked to the chase scene to where when the car hits drums as it's going through the streets or on the highway, the wheel drums or whatever, not wheel drums, but <laughs> they are very bad if it wheel drums. But you know what I'm talking about? Like the ones that are there for construction. But like as it's like thump, 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 those are even timed to the reworked theme that is playing throughout. And some of the main theme notes are timed to when the car bursts and actually is gaining on Penguin's car or hitting the afterburners. It's just phenomenally shot. I loved everything about the way the cinematography in this takes the pov of side cameras for all of the different like flying slash driving scenes that was a really cool kind of mixing it up angle for us i also just thought the riddler's clues and the cypher stuff was a lot of fun i thought that it coming down to a mispronunciation was really cool and really effective and made a lot of sense that that would happen so I thought that the tech was great. Uh, you know, 
Catwoman has a whip. She uses it there in the one scene, which is cool because we get to, it's kind of iconic. The wingsuit, you know, it's fine. I, it's, I know they're trying to bring that into some modern stuff. It was interesting to watch him like sit up there on the tower and kind of like, you know, it's like a bubble wrap. It was like a huge bubble wrap. I don't know. It was just, it was funny looking to me, but whatever, you know, I could buy that as well. So I thought that that stuff was pretty cool uh, as for the most part, you know, it didn't blow me away. The contact lenses were really the height of it. Also, I guess he has like, he uses like a zapper, like on the, when he's doing the gang, he actually stuns them with, some sort of a device and he his suit you learn at that point like his suit is resistant to being shocked it's shock absorbent and so that kind of plays into the film later on when he's able to cut that cord and drop into the water and survive to save everybody from else from getting shocked and so there's that you know I, yeah i like i like the tech a lot i like the way it was shot and I'm excited to see that built upon, but I would rather it stay grounded like this. I love that everything to me was completely believable. Even Nolan's world as great and, and as believable as it is for that world and the that rich, <laughs> like there's some stretch that has to happen, you know, for comic book believability that you, this is real world believability. Yeah. I, I, I agree with all that. I, I think the, the entrance of the Batmobile is probably my favorite entrance. Be he wanted it to be like Christine. He said Matt Reeves modeled it after the entrance of Christine. Mm. And it feels like a horror movie. It does. And that, dude, angry. That scene it's is just, angry. That scene is, it is. It's, it's mad. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. I mean, it's just like, whoa. And, um, of course, the, the design of it is very much like a young Batman would design. He's like, okay, I got to find this part and I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the junkyard and find these things. And I like that it wasn't techie. I like that it was really just a muscle car, that it was like, it's going to just destroy people by running into them. There's a, uh, a great moment. I believe it's after Penguin and you know, it's coming. <laughs> it, uh, it hits that ramp of the tow truck. And the next shot you see is, is the penguin look you know looking in the rearview mirror and the shot the the camera sitting on like top of his rear view right behind it and he's like ha 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 and <laughs> here it comes like a whoom just coming at you it's like an attack dog is what it is and that's what i think really appealed to me is not even its design but its presence and the way it which it feels the tumbler is the same way the tumbler feels like a different vehicle like it's got a life of its own the design of the 89 Batmobile is very iconic. It very much feels like a comic book Batmobile that was created to look like a bat. But I agree with you. I think the tech is good. And the fact that it's not too far into the future. Like, I think we could get to a place where contact could do that. We to probably can now to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not too far removed from that. I think that's what makes it nice because we can grab hold of those things. So the, the effects were very, a lot of practical effects. The, the, the choreography and the fight sequences, I thought felt like they weren't over the top. They didn't, he, so, so Pattinson wasn't fast, but he was like, he wasn't like a martial artist. 
No, it's but he, but he, melee he reactive. Yeah, it's total he's, melee fighting, and it's very much the Arkham games. Again, like I, when I watched this, I was like, somebody played the games that I'm in love with because if you ever play the games, they're built on a combo system to where Batman is quickly moving from punch. And he, you, there's a counter button where you time the counter button and Batman is punching and then will immediately flip around and he'll do some, you know, some sort of cool moves and chain everything together to where he's like hitting all these guys around him, fighting them all at once. That's what the game is all about, comboing and all this. And it looks exactly like the video game. I was geeking out. Like I had to come home and start replaying the video game. I've been playing it now since a week and a half ago. Uh, and even the shot where they're coming through the hallway if you look at the way that that sh that I was listening to an interview and Matt Reeves said that was completely practical. Like they actually used not real bullets, but they were using real machine gun fire to light that scene. That's only thing that they use. There's no artificial lights and it looks amazing. Yeah, it does. I mean, it, it just, it makes him, him being Batman that much more personified as a character. Like he's, He's from the very beginning of of the nineteen eighty nine. It's like this this creature in the night, and yeah. I think that's one of the things that Reeves captures so well is he is a creature because the opening of that sequence, he's telling in this voiceover, people are afraid of me, and that's what I thought was really fantastic. Is you have these three events that are taking place presumably at the same time. You have a grocery store robbery. You have a tagging of, I think, a Capitol building or something. And then you have the subway sequence. And all three of them, someone's looking back going, where is he? Because <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a depiction of that kind of fear that, that as, as effective as those. Yeah, and, and just, so just it, because they looked up and they all saw the bat, so you know, they're like, okay, he's out. He's somewhere out there. Like, is he coming after me? Does he, he know exactly? He be, does he know yeah. what I did? And yeah. the one guy gets run over by a car because he's busy looking at the sky. <laughs> and it's great. I love that the cabbie's like, "Dude, what are you doing?" I know, dude's got a gun. I was like, I don't know that that would have been my reaction. I would have. I was worried he was going to shoot the cabbie or something. <laughs> That's when you reverse and go the other way. <laughs> yeah, or just run forward over him. Well, I. Or you could do that. <laughs> I did want to mention the interesting kind of online marketing that has happened because we did our episode on Cloverfield and Matt Reeves directed that Matt Reeves was very involved in that campaign. And so I'm not surprised now, but I have not been following Batman marketing because I've tried to go completely dark going into this movie and it served me very well. I'm super glad that I did. So I found out after the fact, like there's been posters that have had these ciphers on them and all along from the posters in the movie, or the, the scenes in the movie trailers that show the ciphers and from the posters and from actual the the website radaalada.com people were able to piece together this cipher very much like the one that the ruler is using it's the whole thing right and it's missing only one character and that is j they've gotten every letter now except j go figure when they did that, the website, Rada Alada, actually ended up getting all the point, way to the point where you could like answer some questions, some riddles, and it would give you a thing. Like you can go there now and there's a, I just went through it and it does a bunch of loading screens and a whole bunch of weird stuff and random like referencing. 
and then there's a screen that comes up and it says click for reward and you can actually watch this little video of the of it's thomas wayne's like mayoral speeches or something and it's got the riddler has like doctored it and then now there is a loading screen and it's currently at 35 percent. i'd like have it up right now when the article that i initially looked at had it at six percent a couple days ago, or a day ago or so so it is clearly moving up to something but i don't know what so if you go to radaalada.com keep your eye on that in the future because clearly they're doing something here and i what i love patrick is that i'm not the kind of guy who gets into this stuff as i talk to with cloverfield i'm not in the in the moment i'm not going to be like trying to solve all of these clues and put the pieces together but i darn sure love me a good recap video that explains everything that happened and how people put it all together and discovered it. I think that that's fascinating. I love that it exists for people to do that. Yeah. So if you go to that website um, and you click on the thing for reward, it brings up an image. Is it the red image with the cipher? Yes. Do you see what, do you, if you look in the address, do you see what the name of the file is? Is it Arkham? I think it's Arkham, no, it says, right? It's, no, it says it's not over yet. Oh, it says it's not over yet. Right, yeah. Not JPEG. The JPEG so, file is named, it's not over yet. So I'm like, so yeah, so we're, we're like wondering like what is going on? What's going to happen in, when this thing hits 100%? Like, is there going to be a deleted scene? Is there going to be some sort of post-credit type function where it kind of hints towards the future? Which I, and I thought that is kind of... So my pitch to everybody is that if you're interested in this at all, a, go to the website and check it out, rodalada.com. B, go to New Rock Stars. This is a YouTube channel that I follow who does all this superhero content. So they break down Easter eggs and stuff after every Marvel movie, after every Marvel show, but they did the same thing for Batman. And they caught a lot of the stuff that I did um, and way more. <laughs> it's just, it's phenomenal. And they have a video that specifically walks through all of the pieces of this cipher being put together. And I was just, like fascinated by it. So highly recommend that. But this ties in perfectly to the last thing, which is I want to talk about where we're headed. So we get the J introduced at the end of the movie. Riddler is in Arkham Asylum and there in his cell next to him, rather next to his cell, somebody starts talking to him. It's Barry Keegan and he is clearly meant to be the Joker. So my question for you is, how did you feel about that? And what do you think about where this could be going? Well, I was kind of hoping for the Court of Owls, uh, just because I, I want to see that on the, on the big screen. It's my favorite Batman story. Um, you know, I, I, look at, I look at that hint of another Joker. I'm not as excited about it, or at least I wasn't after seeing that. but as we've been talking through this conversation and I think about the rookiness of, of the Batman, how we we've gotten young versions of Bruce and Gordon and Catwoman. What would it be like to get a young version of the Joker? What would he look like independent of Jared Leto and Jack Nicholson and all these iterations that, that we've enjoyed? I'm, I'm cool with it. I just wonder what Joker story we're going to get. And will that introduce, uh, you know, Robin? Will we get, will we get to that point? I don't feel like Robin exists in this universe, honestly, because it's so young. I don't know that we're going to get that. And so 
I'm not as familiar with the Batman Joker relationship apart from some of the major storylines. And those major storylines include sidekicks being offed. <laughs> and so I'm, I can give or take, but I'm excited about the universe. I'm excited about a, a Matt Reeves trilogy, wherever it's going to go. I'd rather not go into the world of the Joker, but I know that the Rose Gallery is um, rich with different characters. And so if we're going to get an expansion of some of these younger versions of the heroes and villains, then I'm okay with seeing a young Joker kind of come out and what he can bring. So I was flinching when it first happened. I was like, Oh God, no, please. No. Why are we doing this? But I am going to give it a chance because I loved this movie so much. And I think that you I can't have a Batman without a Joker. I, you can't. I, at some point you have to. I love that they got through the first movie without it. My ideal, Patrick, would be that the Joker is in the background for the next film and not the primary. I would love to see us build with the Joker pulling strings, working with the Riddler. Drag it out, man. Like, don't take them all down and just change out the villains. Like, let's bring them all into the mold and let's keep them all around in different ways and let them interact somehow. And then make it where the Joker is a, ultimately like the threat you got to finally like deal with at the very end kind of thing versus in the middle. So I would like that. Matt Reeves has talked about doing a grounded Mr. Freeze, which I think would be awesome. I would love to see technologically how he handles that sort of storyline instead of the over the top Batman and Robin version and or Batman Forever. I mean, I don't know. I get those two so confused. Even I just watched them like last week and I still don't remember which one is which. And the other cool part about all of this for me is that this is truly going to be a universe. So there are two known spinoff series that are going to come to HBO. We have Gotham PD, which is rumored to be starring Jeffrey Wright and rumored to be a prequel series. And I think that could be really interesting because you could have some sort of a understanding come from that series as to how Gordon and Batman got to the point they're at. And why is the Joker in Arkham? Like you could, you don't have to fight the Joker, but you could have that in that background of the story you're telling to kind of give us that history. The other one is the penguin. So we're going to get a penguin series, which I think is fantastic because now we're going to probably see a period of time over the penguin series where he's dealing with taking over as becoming the penguin that we know kind of as a crime Lord. So that maybe when we hit movie number two, we've now gotten some backstory for jo jo Jim and Bruce and their relationship. And we've had a little bit of future stuff. So we get a different penguin who's in a different position of power at that point already, instead of like starting it right at the end of this movie. So I think they're setting themselves up for some really good stuff. The other rumor that Matt Reeves has kind of been plugging is he's talked about wanting to do Arkham and have Arkham involved. And if you bring Arkham into this and you like set something in Arkham Asylum, I, like I could not want something more, honestly, because then you really do open it up, I think, for the whole gallery, right? Bring in Calendar Man, bring in all of them, and let's play around with these things. I was talking to somebody about Hugo Strange 
Hugo Strange is a big part of Arkham City, the video game, which feels like this movie. This movie feels like it. And Hugo Strange is a perfect kind of personality to bring into this world. He would fit this grounded, gritty, and dark Riddler type of character very well as as another t villain to face off against uh, for this Batman. So yeah, I love where they're going with this, and I'm excited that WB has come out and said specifically that for all their superhero stuff going forward, the thing that they feel matters most is the quality of the filmmaker and letting them execute their vision. So maybe they've learned, and that is a win because I think we'll get more uh, yeah, stuff like sure. this. So yeah, I'm hyped. Like, bring it all on. I'm going to go for a third viewing tomorrow because I've seen it in IMAX. I've seen it in Boring Normal, which was my first viewing. And I'm going to go see it in Dolby because I think that's probably going to be the best. Uh, and I just <laughs> I want to catch it again as many times as I can because I really do love it. And yeah, anyway, I'll shut up. We've talked a while, but I thought it was great. Yeah, I did too. It'll definitely be a, a second watch probably at home, but I'll, well, you're going to end up owning it for both of us, so. I'm looking forward to the digital coming to our library at some point in time. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us listeners. Thank you guys for, for being a part of the conversation. We hope you've enjoyed it. Connect with us on social media to continue that conversation if you want. Until then, we are out of here, but we are coming back next week. We're going to hang out on the couch this next week as we take a look at Disney Plus's or Disney's and Pixar's Turning Red that will debut on Disney Plus later this week so you want to stick around for that all right that's going to do it for us aaron thanks for this great conversation we'll talk soon hey everyone thanks again for listening if you enjoy the show we'd love to hear from you you can leave us a review on itunes or wherever you're listening these help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you we also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing facebook discussion group a link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.